Hi, and welcome in this new episode of Ecosystem. New episodes, new guests. And today I'm here with Lola, a climate activist for Youth uh, for Climate. With her, we're going to talk about climate activism in general and about individuals and nations' responsibility in the fight against climate change. Lola, welcome to Ecosistemi. Thank you so much. I'm very glad for being here and thank you for inviting me. Thank you for accepting my invite and for being here, of course. I would say to first start with a brief introduction maybe about yourself and also about Youth for Climate, because maybe not everyone knows about it. Yes, of course. Um, so my name is Lola. I'm 19 years old, almost 20, and um, I'm currently my first year of university. Um, and I'm studying biology in Brussels, but I live in Antwerp. And um, I've been part of the Belgian climate movement, Youth for Climate, for almost two years now. And you might know Youth for Climate as Fridays for Future because that's how it's internationally known. But because we striked on Thursdays, uh, we called it Youth for Climate. So that's a bit of a weird confusion. Um, and the movement is a bit, um, it, it kind of started in 2019 when we striked for 20 weeks in a row in the streets of Brussels with youth. And we striked while we were actually supposed to be at school. So it was a very new thing. It hadn't been done before. So that was really cool. And then we kind of created a movement with all young people who were just excited to tackle the climate crisis and to spend a lot of their free time on this. And I joined that right after the 20 weeks because I went there every Thursday Mm -hmm. But I only joined the movement after that because I was like, wow, now this is over, but I don't want it to be over. So I decided to get involved. And that's, I think, also why I'm here, because I've been involved for two years now. So. Yeah, exactly. And why did you start this? Like, why did you join the Youth for Climate movement then? Um, I joined because I, so I striked for 20 weeks with all these young people. And afterwards, I realized that it's not because now these strikes are over that the fight is over. So I decided that I wanted to do more and that I wanted to get involved because the climate crisis really got close to my heart due to those um, 20 weeks of striking. Because before that, I was very not aware of the climate crisis. And due to those strikes, I decided to, of course, get informed because if you're there with 30,000 people in the streets, you want to know why we are there. So I started Googling and I started to inform myself and it got really into my head and I had also quite some eco-anxiety in the beginning and a very good way of dealing with it is by getting involved and trying to do your part and trying to um, to to just be active around it and try to make a change because then you just feel better about yourself so the eco-anxiety also fades, fades away a bit um, and that's a bit why I decided to get involved because I just really wanted to do my part in this. Yeah and what is your first memory about, I don't know, a strike that you did with Youth for Climate or the best memory that you have so far about this? I think the, the first strike that I attended is one of the best memories because it was very big in the week beforehand as well. So the people from Youth for Climate, they recorded a video in which they asked young people to come to Brussels on that Thursday and skip school. And it was really big. Everyone was talking about it. And in my school, we were like, okay, should we go? Should we not go? How is this going to be? We were like very excited about it. And then with my friend group, we decided to go there. And a lot more people showed up than they had 
um, first thought would show up. So we were there with 3,000 people in a very, very small um, square in Brussels. So we were absolutely not allowed to go walk because the police didn't want to, but because we were with so many, we just decided to go walk. But so there was no police coordination and we were just walking in the streets. And at some point we were walking through cars in a very big road in Brussels. And there was just a whole street of young people walking through those cars. And I remember that very vividly because it was just a cool image and it was very badass, I would say. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. That yeah. was that was a very nice choice. Yeah, it's a really beautiful picture to imagine, actually. It's really nice. And how was the public attention then? Like, how did the other people react to your movements and to your strikes? Um, it was very big in the news, especially, um, because the first week we were 3,000, the second week with 15,000, and the week after that with 35,000 people. So it grew super fast. Um, and the media attention was insane. It was really, really cool. Um, and at some point, I, I don't think that was already in the beginning, but definitely during those 20 weeks, at some point, the media, of course, also started talking about, okay, but you're not going to school and you're skipping school. You should be studying science to then go tackle the climate crisis when you're older. But of course, our message was, why would we be studying if there's not a very good future ahead of us? Um, and that was a message we kept very strongly, but wasn't always accepted very good by the public. Yeah. And I, I guess also by the schools, right? Like your teachers or like, sure. yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. But I guess it was also like a bit global wise, because I was talking last week with a friend of mine, a friend of mine, like a, an, a climate activist in Italy. And she was also telling me the same, that the, the public opinion was a bit yeah mixed someone was really supporting but someone else was like hey what are you doing you should be at school you should be yeah, yeah. but she also said that uh, those people are also the ones that then don't really understand the urgency probably of the climate crisis exactly. so so yeah talking about this i wanted to ask you um why now you think it's important to be climate active and to have a role in this fight against climate crisis um, the way I always look at it is that I am a very, very privileged person. I live in a very rich country. Um, I have a very lovely family. We have everything we need, um, everything I could possibly dream of. And I live in Europe, which is the continent that is mostly responsible for the uh, climate crisis because we've had the industrial revolution where it kind of all started. Um, and I feel like we, we have caused this if I can say it that way and yet we're not at all feeling the consequences of it it's the people in the global south that are feeling the consequences of the climate uh, the climate crisis and therefore I feel like there's a huge responsibility that I and my friends and my family and just the people that are in the same situation as I am to take their responsibility and and try and tackle the climate crisis because we don't even have to do it for ourselves at the moment because there's already at this very moment people struggling from the climate crisis and we will only feel that in i don't know how many years but it might be only something that i will very much feel when i'm very old but then it will be the people coming after me and i feel like since i am so privileged and i have the possibility to think about this and to act about this i also feel like i should be doing it because there's already so many people who also just don't have the possibility to do it because they're they're living to survive and they're trying to 
every day do what is needed for them to survive. And then I also don't want to expect from them to, to tackle this and to fight against climate change. That's really something we as privileged people will have to do. And that's also something that I try to remind myself of every day when I have to do a stupid task for the movement. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I think of those people who are already suffering from the consequences of climate change, because that is something that keeps you going. But in Europe and in America and all this, those privileged countries, it's just hard to fight, I think, because we don't feel those consequences. But that's when that's the moment where you need to switch to thinking, no, there are already people that are suffering from the direct things we're doing here. There's people suffering. And I think that's something that always has kept me going, just realizing that and keeping that always in the back of my mind. And also what I always try to explain to people like, okay, but this is the situation and you have the possibility to do something about it, then do it. Um, so, yeah. And how do you feel um, personally? Like, how do you feel about this being privileged? Because sometimes I, of course, I'm also a white privileged woman. And um, and I really feel responsible sometimes, although I know that it's not my fault, the climate crisis, but that I can indeed do something to fight against it. So I wanted to ask you if, yeah, how you feel about this fact of being privileged, if, uh, if this triggers you like emotions like guilt um you feel guilt or responsible or something like that yes i think it's not necessarily guilt because like you say it's not you and me who have directly caused it but it's our actions and the the countries we live in and the leaders we have that are responsible for it and i do feel um, that guilt is not necessarily something I have, but when I'm not doing something, I do feel guilty because, mm. like I said before, it's the possibility of being able to do something about it and knowing that there's also a lot of people who are not able to to do anything about it. And that's what I think we... I, we always say we need everyone to tackle the cr climate crisis, but I feel like there's also a lot of people who are unable to, to do anything about it. And that's where I want to take this pressure away from them a bit and do everything in my possibility to to also care for those people who aren't able to do anything and i think by looking at that looking at it that way um i tr just try to take the pressure away from multiple people by doing everything i can so for example the world doesn't need um a lot of vegans like perfectly vegan people but the world needs a lot of um flexitarians for example But when I am a perfectly vegan, I can take some of the responsibility of people who are unable to be even just a, flexi um, a, be a vegetarian or a vegan. So by doing a bit the more extreme, I can take away pressure from those who are unable to do anything. That's a bit the way how I look at it. But I don't know if that was clear because I felt like... Yeah, no, it, it is definitely clear. And I, I totally agree with you. Also, if I think about um, the zero waste movement, for example, I always... Um, read these sentences or hear this uh this thing about we don't need like one perfect uh person practicing zero waste lifestyles perfectly but we need a lot of us doing it imperfectly so the point is not that you have to live without waste or without plastic or without anything but is that um yeah we need a lot of people just doing it imperfectly but i also i actually never thought about what you just said, like taking away the, the pressure from others. And it's really a nice point of view, actually. And I, re I really never thought about that. I was like, um, yeah, I, I, I just simply never thought about that. And thank you for sharing it because it's, a, it's an interesting 
reflecting point that I should reflect on. And um, related to this, I wanted to ask you um, a burning question, probably, because uh, <laughs> there are a lot of uh, mixed opinions about this. So, like, is it the individuals that should do something and change, or is the system that needs to change, or are we individuals part of the systems? So we all need to change. I don't know if the question is clear, but yeah, it's just everything about individuals or system change. Yes, I, I totally get the question. I think I've thought <laughs> this very often already. Um, and I think my answer to it would always be both because I think the, the system won't change without people wanting it to change. And if people won't change, if the system won't change. And I think in the movement, what we always do is we try to pressure mostly on the system because we think that there's a very small amount of time at the moment and it needs to go really fast. And for that, it's the best if um, the system changes and if the system guides us into taking different decisions by moving money and by making our decisions easier to make, by making some things more expensive and some things cheaper. And I think that therefore in the movement, we always fight for a system change because it just is the way it goes the fastest, we believe. But in my individual life, I always try to, again, the privileged people around me, try and pressure them a bit into, okay, but how are you also part of the system and how should you also try and change certain things um, in your daily life? Because again, we do need everyone and it also goes faster if people, individuals also try and and guide the system in a certain way. So by going into the streets, um, shouting for equality and for um, the tackling the climate crisis. Um, but at the same time, I also think that if we only make it depend on individuals, it's going to be so extremely hard. Um, and therefore, I also try sometimes to, for example, when I'm vegan, I don't do that because I think I as an individual will make the biggest change, but I will make a change by inspiring the people around me to do the same. And then I, I might influence five or 10 people. And that is a, making a change as an individual. And in that part, I also believe that individuals can make a change, but it cannot only be from individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, it's always not only about you, but yeah, influencing the other people around you. So that's the real change. But do you think that strikes and uh, protests are uh, still effective in the fight against climate change? Yes, definitely. I think maybe now with COVID, has, it has changed a bit um, because it's, of course, way harder to come on the streets and we haven't been able to do that for almost one and a half years. But in the beginning of this Fridays for Future movement and Youth for Climate in Belgium, it was so big and we have influenced so many leaders and policies and people might not look at it directly that that is because of the school strikes, but we definitely played a role in it. And also now when we look at... Um, at governments and also just the EU, how they very often refer back to these movements and refer back to the changes we've made or the pressure we've put on those policies. It's it's actually pretty big because I also personally, I work in the European Parliament since two weeks now. I'm having an internship with the Green Party there and I notice very much how they depend a lot on the movement day whenever there's a legislation happening or a voting they ask like okay and are you going to do something and what is your narrative and how can we also anticipate on this which i think is very interesting that they still depend a lot on the movement and look at how we are doing things to look at their self as well 
So I think that was really interesting. And that also says a lot about the change we've made in those policies. Well, first of all, uh, congratulations for doing this internship at the European Parliament. Yeah. Seriously, congratulations. Um, while you were talking, you said something about the online situation now because of COVID, mm -hmm. of course. I wanted to ask you how it is uh, being a climate activist and bringing activism online now with this pandemic. If it's working as well and what you're doing, what is Youth for Climate doing online and these kind of things. Yeah, um, I think it's been very tough the last year um, on multiple um, topics. It has been tough because, of course, also if you look at the movement and it's all online, we're not able to see each other physically to have a bit of fun during all those meetings. Um, it's also tough to keep the motivation going in the movement, which I think is really sad. And that's why I'm hoping that we can soon just start organizing cool stuff again to get people excited again. Um, And the, the online part has been pretty hard for acting as well, because, of course, it wasn't able to, to mass mobilize anymore, which actually was our main thing that we were known for. We were the people who mass mobilized um, and that wasn't possible anymore. But we also learned a lot out of it because we had to be super creative and we had to come up with new things that hadn't been done before that could be done in a small with a small group of people. So we actually organized some very cool things where we, during the last global strike, we um, went to the Rue de la Loire, which is one of the most important streets in Brussels. And we put a huge banner on the ground, which said another world is possible and people could draw on it and make their most um, exciting world or the world they would love to see. Um, they could draw it on there and there was music and there were only about a hundred people, but it was a very fun strike and we had really a blast. Um, And also we had an action with the Fight for 1.5 um, campaign, which was a campaign where we wanted to um, celebrate, which wasn't, of course, a celebration, the fifth um, anniversary of the Paris Agreement. And we wanted to humanize the number 1.5 and talk about how important it is that we stay below this number because it is about human rights and people will be affected. And we put the hashtag Fight for 1.5 in candles on the ground and with a drone we flew over it. And it was also a very nice action. It was super cold, but there were so many nice candles and people and music. And we also got just a lot out of having to be creative and being um, acting in different ways. So that was a, also a positive thing that we got out of it. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations and compliments for the creativity that you had during this time. I think it's not easy to, personally, also in my experience, I think it's not easy in this period to still have the motivation to do something about this and being actively uh, present offline as well and not only online. So yeah, well done. Um, I wanted also about, uh, <laughs> about this pandemic topic. I wanted to ask you as well, do you think that the climate crisis um, lost its urgency uh, during this pandemic? Do you think that we shifted our focus for a bit of time on the on the covid instead of climate and or do you think that it was still enough uh talked and enough um yeah that it had enough attention as well no i think it was something that we also um posted a lot about that it's not because there's one crisis that we can just forget about the other crisis um and we We, in the beginning, I think we made a lot of space for the COVID crisis because we, of course, everyone was really afraid. Everyone was just so, 
everything was just around this COVID crisis, especially in the beginning, where we also just felt like it's not at all our place right now to say those kind of things, because this first needs to be in some way under control. Um, but later during the, the pandemic, where I, we felt that there was a bit more space to talk about it again, we also really found it important to to make the link between COVID and climate change, because there definitely is a very strong link between those two crises. And I feel like the news and the media have not at all talked about it enough, which we found pretty sad um, because it was a very good momentum to to talk about that. And we are very scared about also after COVID where we're able to go out again, that the momentum of this climate movement will have faded a bit. Um, so we really don't know how it's going to be, of course, but we are a bit scared that that might happen. Um, and I think... Um, that the urgency that you asked me about, that's the, the scariest thing because when you have to do everything online, people can just scroll and forget about it and move on with their day. But when you're in the street with 35,000 young people who should be at school actually that day, it's very much harder to just forget about it and scroll mm -hmm. further. And I think that's what we are scared for that that happened just way too often the last one and a half year and that we really want to change again like okay you cannot just ignore us because we're here and you're gonna listen whether you like it or not yeah <laughs> so yeah that's what we're looking forward to again yeah i think all climate activists and activists in general are really waiting for that moment to just go back on the streets and just yeah make some noise and yeah i think that we are all done with the online thing and i personally can also see it online like people don't just they just don't want to uh, read anything else about the climate online they want to see action they want to be the action and we're just all done with it so i really hope that in the next months we can just go back on the street and do something fun nice and impactful as well um, can you maybe tell us a bit about the connection between COVID and the environment? Because I am aware of, the, uh, of it, but maybe someone who's listening is not really aware of the connection between this pandemic and the environmental crisis. Yes, of course. Um, I think the main thing is that we have ignored nature's boundaries the last few decades, and we've just been always crossing those boundaries and going further into nature and into big forests by creating land for um, for farmers to, to, to grow vegetables and to feed their animals. And by, for example, deforestation, forests have shrinked a lot, which made animals have to go deeper into the forest, but also get closer to the boundaries of these forests. And by doing that, we got way closer to animals and to um, the the, nat the natural world than the humans have done in the past. And by doing that, we just got very close contact with those animals. And that's kind of how diseases that normally won't switch from animals to humans now did switch from animals to humans. And that's also, I don't think, the only reason, because we all know also where it probably happened in a in an animal market in um, China, where the we just got even closer to these animals by bringing them into the, the human world. And um, that's also something that, of course, I'm a vegetarian and I don't want to ever anyone to eat meat again. And that's also, of course, again, another link that we should just not be eating those animals and get so close contact with them because it's just not a natural thing to do. Because that's when we create those illnesses that are not even supposed to be with us, 
that do get to us in the end. And that's a bit, I don't know if that's explained very well. I also don't know all the details, but I do know yeah. that they're stronger. No, I think you explained it really well. And um, I think it's clear there's not a lot to add, actually. I think that um, I also read, actually, that animals develop this bacteria when they are put under stress. So in this market in China, for example, in this case, when they are being killed or tortured, like in the market itself, they develop this bacteria and then it's it's faster. The, the contamination between animal and human is faster because they are put under stress as well because animals suffer as well, right? So they are they develop this uh, bacteria faster and then it travels faster from animal to human. But I also know that um, there's a lot of, again, mixed feelings and opinions about this because, of course, it's always hard to identify real news from fake news and all these kind of things online. So I know that not a lot of people actually trust these sources or this, uh, yeah, this opinion about the um, mm-hmm. origin of this uh, pandemic as well but pandemic parts I think we've we've uh, we are both like done with this topic and everyone is done with this topic so I wouldn't like to focus too much on that yeah. I wanted to talk about again youth for climate and ask you about um, representatives of youth for climate so because um, you told me that you're of course as I am a privileged uh, girl in this uh, movement and I wanted to ask you what is the um, um, representation in Youth for Climate so if there are a lot of white people or if you have also representatives from other countries because I'm asking you this because uh, what I see in European movements is a lot of white representations and not a lot of maybe representatives from um, non, non so privileged countries so maybe South America or that, that they have uh, less privilege than us so I wanted to ask you about this yeah thank you for asking because I think it's an extremely important topic um, to always discuss whenever I get a platform I like it when people talk about this as well because you're just very right in saying that there's a lot of privileged white young kids getting the platform and um, have, having the possibility to speak up And um, I think that in the Belgium movement, it's definitely mostly white kids. Um, And we've tried in the past changing that because also it's not that our movement is a very open thing and everyone's able to join. We have a platform where just people can register and get into calls and we're very open on that platform, but it's still very hard to get to a lot of people and to really show that everyone's allowed and free to join our movement. But we just see that that's not really working. And we see that especially everywhere in Europe, it's just the same. In, of course, Fridays for Future is not only a European movement, it's all over the world. Um, And so it's not only white kids, but in Europe, it mostly is. And that's also why a lot of young people who have a big platform, for example, Luisa, Anuna, um, Greta, really try to also now give the platform to those who don't have those possibilities or those big amounts of platforms. So they try to whenever there's made a documentary or they are being filmed or there is an interview to really involve those voices as well and of course it's not the best way because it's still them talking but by slowly switching to not only them being having an important voice but everyone having an important voice and showing that it's those people who are 
at the front lines and those people who are suffering from the climate crisis already, that their voices are so much more important because they can tell it like it is. They can tell us how it's going to also be in Europe, how it's going to, um, what the struggles will be at some point also with us. And by hearing those stories, it's way more interesting than listening to people who are just acting but don't feel anything from what they're acting for. And um, that's also, for example, the the Pass the Mic movement, which is a movement where they really try to pass the microphone to those who are on the front lines and who have stories from very close to their heart that happened in their neighborhood. Um, and I think that's a very beautiful movement. And I really hope that at some point it will be so much more diverse and those people get a voice because their voices are so extremely important. Um, but it's it's definitely a struggle that the movement is facing and that we're trying to work on, but maybe also not enough yet. Um, because it's also very hard since the media is so focused on white people in Europe and they feel like the media attention is more important than the story that they're telling and the views they have on certain things are always above the actual story and therefore they often choose people that are white so that the audience that they're filming it for can relate to. That's how media often tells it to us, which is a very sad story, I think, and we really, really want to change that. Um, and the only way of being able to change that is by us giving the platform to them and not only keeping it for ourselves. But it's a very hard thing to do and it's not always working as we would like it to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you. And I also um, I also hope that in the future this will change because I think that listening to their voices of not, not so privileged people and... Uh, listening to what they have to say as well um, is going to be even more impactful, probably. But I agree with you that currently, probably the the media is more focused on white people and the white side of these climate movements. But I hope this will change strongly. Um, while talking to you, you also told me um, that you wanted to talk about the... Um, how do you say it? the um, the role of LGBTQ plus people in the climate movement? So I wanted to ask you if you would like to say something about this as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it might be a bit weird, so out of nowhere, but I I will try to explain it a bit. I see that in the in the climate movement, especially in Belgium, there is always a lot of LGBTQ plus um, people in there and representation of those people. And I have thought about it a lot, and I've also done a presentation about this earlier this year, and I find it always a very interesting topic to see why that actually is. And a bit of a theory that I have about it is that when you are part of the LGBTQ plus community, you have went out of a box that has been set there for the beginning of your life, and you decide to go out of there and to live your own life and to do what makes you happy. And that's always a very strong step to make. And for some people, it won't feel like that, but it actually is because you go out of this little box that people have put you in. And that's a very strong message. And you go in some way also against the system by doing that. And the relation I see then to the climate crisis and the climate movement is that these young people are actually doing the same. They're stepping away out of our current system to change this current system because they just feel like it's incorrect incorrect for them as an individual because we're breaking things, we're ruining our world. And those young people, they decide, well, I, I just disagree with that. So I'm going to step out of this box and I'm going to fight for a different system. And I think that when you've done that once in your life by being part of the LGBTQ plus community, it's easier to do that a second time and to also see like, 
okay, but if this is incorrect and if they put me in this box, then maybe I also disagree with this box and I don't want these boundaries and I see that this is incorrect in our world. And that's always such a beautiful thing to see in the climate movement. Also, sometimes it's the opposite way. People get involved in the climate movement and then experience other thoughts where they disagree within the world. And it's also, we can take it even broader when we look at how activists in the climate movement just act on all social struggles. We act on racism, we act on uh, discrimination, on, on gender and on sexuality. We, we act on so many other things because it's just one, once you see that there's one thing so wrong in the world, you also start questioning all the others. And I think that's always such an interesting thing to see that you just so highly disagree with something. And then you also go question all the other things. And I always find that nice to also share that with people whenever I have the chance. Yeah, but um, I'm aware that probably this sounded like out of nowhere for many listeners. But I also think that I will explain why for me it was easy to make a connection between non-white people and LGBTQ plus uh, community. Because I think that climate justice and social justice are interconnected and uh, social justice is needed to reach climate justice. And um, from the news, uh, and I think if we just look around ourselves, we can see that the LGBTQ plus community is not really, um, is a bit, is still discriminated, right? So I also feel that that's a form like of, um, yeah, just non, wait, I'll try to explain myself in a better way. So I think that the LGBTQ plus community is discriminated and it, it also has less privilege mm -hmm. than other people, right? So I think that the LGBTQ plus uh, community also needs to um, fight against the social justice to reach the climate justice. So for me, the connection was super easy because, um, yeah, I just really think that we cannot fight climate crisis if we don't reach a social uh, justice, right? So if we don't work for better human rights and more equal rights, then um, yeah, we cannot fight for the fight for the climate crisis. And I think that yeah, this community is also part of the non-privileged uh, part of society, right? Yes, exactly. And I think also what you say, where it's always those the weakest in society who will suffer the most. And maybe in Europe it's not that clear to see, but in so many countries in the world, there's still so much discrimination and hate and also where households just don't accept people who come out of the closet. And it's those people who also just at some point suffer the most. It's those people who don't have a very nice household or who are already being discriminated by your society who will then suffer even more from these the, the consequences of climate change. And therefore, I think it's also maybe even a protection mechanism like we know we need to really fight this because there's so many people going to suffer from this and we just don't want that because I'm suffering from this one thing and I just want to protect others as well from suffering from other things or something it's I think it's a very beautiful thing but also a harsh thing to see yeah. at some point yeah I also think that um if this community so the LGBTQ plus community was um as privileged as other people, then we wouldn't have this community fighting. So it means that we're still lacking a lot on basic human rights and that we have to work on that first to then work towards a more sustainable, greener uh, environment and society as well. And yeah. Um, yeah, I just think that 
some problems are really rooted in in our society and in our traditions and i don't see it often here in maybe the netherlands or belgium which are really advanced countries i would say or more innovative than others but if i look at italy for example which is where i come from it's way different and there's still a lot of taboo and discrimination about uh, towards this community as well so um and it's interesting i think to see how a discriminated uh, community is also um, probably the um, most active in the climate movement as well and i think they are so uh, this community is so driven by their sense of um, um, social justice that they just they just want to fight for a better world and they just want to you know go with it and fight for mm-hmm. a better future and fight for better social rights uh, environmental rights, everything. So I think it's really interesting the connection that you mentioned. So thank you for sharing it as well. Yes, and thank you for also saying this. I I really agree with everything you're saying, and I think it's a also a very beautiful thing actually that just people want a better world, and that's just the key point of the whole climate movement and this whole conversation. Like we just want a better world for everyone. Yeah. Also. Uh, just to end this part of the conversation, I think that when you're privileged, it's hard to see the problem, right? It takes a lot of courage and a lot of, um, yeah, I think just courage to see the problem because you understand that you are privileged and it's not nice, let's say, to know that you're privileged and that others uh, are not as privileged as you are. So I think it takes a lot of courage to also, as a white privileged person, to step out of your comfort zone and understand what others are feeling and being empathic, I guess. So that's maybe also why other discriminated, um, yeah, another discriminated part of society is more active than a privileged person who's just, you know, enjoying life in their comfort zone and that's it. So, yeah. If I can say one more more thing about that, something that just popped to mind, I think what you say is so true. And by knowing that you're privileged and wanting to change something, you also know that there's part of your privilege that are going to have to move away because it's just incorrect. And that's, for example, so many people that are young and there are some yeah, rather careless, I would say. I also understand that because, of course, we are so privileged and we're actually living a pretty nice life. Life really isn't too bad here. But when you know that you can buy clothes for three euros from, for example, Sheen or these very wrong websites, and they know that it's actually very incorrect, and they know that that's a huge privilege they have to just do that. And knowing that when you would fight against this privilege, you would have to give this up is something very hard for many people to do. And it's also something I really understand. It's not nice having to give certain things up. And I also hate that I cannot always do whatever I want or that I cannot fly and go see the world that I cannot buy those nice clothes that are cheap that I cannot eat a piece of meat sometimes but I feel like it just goes so much further than that and I want to be this part of the change because I also see that the things we think are nice and are beautiful and make our lives happy they actually don't it's more of an illusion that we have that we believe that these things make us happy but they actually don't There's so much beautiful things in the world that we forget about. We're so far away from nature and we're so into this consumption society that we believe that that stuff will make us happy. But it's just an illusion that we have created and it's created by our society that 
I wish people could also look at it in a different way that the world has so much more to offer than that we think it has to offer. Mm -hmm. But for that, we need to just let go of some things that we think make us happy, but actually just don't. Mm -hmm. And that's something I find super important. And that also always keeps me going that those things, I give them up because I believe there's something better, something greater, something more beautiful out there than those things I believe make me happy. Yeah, Yeah, that's why I think it takes courage because um, I think that when you step out of your privilege, or in this case, like white privilege, when you step out of it and you step out of your comfort zone, then um, talking about climate, so climate crisis, I think you, you have to deal with all the news, a lot of things, and then you deal with ego anxiety, like you were saying before. And I can also say that when I started to um, be active in this in this climate crisis thing, I also felt this ego anxiety. So I think that when you step out, you immediately feel this um, ego anxiety. But then once you overcome it and once you understand how to deal with it, then uh, you start to see the world probably in a different way. For example, I totally changed my pers- my uh, perspective on so many things, or nature, the way of living, or my on my future as well. So I completely changed everything, and I think that's that's what what can uh, scare people the most because you are stepping out of your comfort zone. And you know, you are perfectly aware that you're going to face something hard at the beginning and that you don't know what's next. So I think that's also what's stopping many people from just changing their behaviors and, yeah, just being more, um, yeah, empathic and compassionate about Mm -hmm. people and the environment as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The message is just all have a lot of courage then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. Well, that's my personal view. Maybe someone else uh, doesn't agree with me, but that's totally fine. The word is beautiful because we're all diverse. So um, I wanted to ask you if you would like to just add something else to our conversation. Maybe you want to talk, you wanted to talk about something that I forgot or you just want to say one last message, one last thought, whatever. Yeah, I think something I always like to close off with is when, whenever you have the chance to just question our system for a moment and just really think so freely and think about the world you would love to live in and just letting go of everything you've ever known, just letting go of our society, the way our system works, the way you live your life. When you take a moment and just close your eyes and let go of everything you know and you're used to, And imagine this world that you would actually like to live in. I think that a lot of people would not choose for the world we're currently living in. And then when you come to this realization, I wanted to ask you to go change it and do whatever is in your capacity to change and to inspire people and to be passionate and to strive for a world that you think is just more beautiful than this one. And um, it's a stupid message, but it's also a very true one you're never too small to make a difference. So just go fight for whatever you believe in. I don't think it's stupid at all. And thank you for just um, talking about this and sharing this this last thought. I think it's super important and it's not stupid at all. It's really, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that small changes can really make a, a difference. So I wouldn't, I think that's the perfect way to end this episode as well, because... Uh, I think you just explain it in a beautiful way and I don't want to 
mess it up in any way. <laughs> so I would just like to thank you then for uh, coming to Ecosystemi and sharing your story, sharing the story of Youth for Climate and just sharing with us your thoughts about climate activism and so on. Thank you for inviting me and for the very nice questions. I very much enjoyed how you asked and how the conversation went. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I hope I'll see you soon on the streets as well to yeah. just strike for a better word. And for those ones listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast and see you at the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.